welcome to Jim's from earlier. We are delighted that you are in worship today. And a special shout out to those of you that are in worship today that maybe stayed up a little past your bedtime last night for a certain sporting event. Um, and a big, big thank you. It is a testament to the compassion and mercy of our congregation that there is not a giant UNC flag just waving in my face this morning. So this Duke grad is very grateful. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we got a Kansas fan in here. Here we go. <laughs> Well, this morning, we are continuing on our Lenten journey. We took a little uh, detour last week from our sermon series on Lent in Plain Sight, as it was my honor to share the pulpit with the Reverend Dr. Gary Mason. If you were not with us last week, I urge you to go back and watch or listen to the recording from Reverend Dr. Mason. He is the head of Rethinking Conflict. He is an Irish Methodist who played an integral role in the peace conversations there in Northern Ireland, and he brought an incredible message last week. And so even if you were here, it's worth a second listen. So I'm grateful for his presence with us. But today we return to our series for this season, the season of Lent that is a season of reflection, a season of repentance. And this year at East Cobb, we are looking at Lent in plain sight. What are some of those ordinary objects that we encounter on a daily basis that point us to certain reminders of our faith journey, this journey that we are going on with Jesus that culminates in Jerusalem with the events that we will mark next week, beginning with Palm Sunday through Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. Today we are looking at one of the ordinary objects here. So far we have talked about coins, we have talked about bread, we have talked about shoes. Today we move to oil. And our story today is an interesting one, for it is one that I think surprises us a bit by who speaks certain words. So as we read the scripture this morning, I'm actually just going to read the very beginning, and then we're going to pause to kind of wonder together who might speak the words that follow. We're looking at Matthew chapter 26, beginning with the sixth verse, and it starts this way. When Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase of, made of alabaster containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now we're going to pause there. The next line is someone looks at this woman in the story. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. Now, who might have spoken these words of surprise? Why this waste, this money could be used for the poor? Ah, yes, okay. So, interestingly enough, 
This story appears in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell a version of this story. Now, it's interesting because given what we know about Jesus' ministry, it might even be that Jesus could have said this, right? Why would you not give to the poor, care for the poor? This is my commandment to you. In the Gospel of Mark, it is the other guests who are at the meal who speak this shock and outrage. In the Gospel of Luke, it is the Pharisees who question the acts of this woman. And as many of you guessed, in the Gospel of John, it is Judas, the one who will betray Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew that we read today, no single disciple is named. It is simply all grouped together, the disciples. So we read again that this woman came and she poured the very expensive perfume on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now when the disciples saw it, they were angry. And they said, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given it to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said, why do you make trouble for the woman? She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth, that wherever in the whole world this good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, upon first hearing this story, I don't know if you did the same as I, but I echoed the question, why this waste? Why this waste? It's a good point, is it not, that the money made by selling this oil, this perfume, it could go much further, could do much more good than just being poured out on Jesus' head. But then I quickly realized that if I'm echoing this question, then that puts me in the camp with the disciples and with the Pharisees and with Judas. And I don't think that's the side of history I want to find myself on. <laughs> so what is wrong with protesting the waste? Well, we might say that it's actually none of our business. <laughs> After all, this woman brings this extravagant gift to Jesus all on her own. It is hers to give. It is his to receive. And so who are we to make any comment about it one way or the other? As I tell my kids often, you worry about you. I mean, after all, can you even imagine someone bringing a gift to the church to give to a ministry of the church and everyone else stands around and judges them and says how much they could have done better with it? How oh, imagine that. <laughs> Just imagine. 
But that is only a, a fraction of why judgment of this gift as wasteful, only a fraction of why it simply falls flat, especially before Jesus. To understand it, we must look further at our own understanding of waste. What do we categorize as wasteful? Why eat the amazingly decadent chocolate cake when broccoli and carrots and cauliflower are so much better for you? What a waste. Why read a fictional novel that carries you to an imaginary world when you could read an informative text that is going to make you smarter and brighter and a better human being? What a waste. Why take the extra effort to recycle when the impact of your individual trash is not going to affect the climate? What a waste! Why in the world would you encourage your little children to play sports? They don't know the rules. Have you ever been to a four-year-old soccer game? It's a blob of kids running here, there, and everywhere. What a waste. Why? Why would you even go and sit with your aging relative who most of the time doesn't even know you're there? What a waste. Might there be some misunderstandings about what waste is? Might it even be that our faith calls us to redefine wasteful living? My colleague, Reverend Elizabeth Grasham, a pastor in the Church of Christ, she says this, After all, Sabbath is a waste of time. Why rest when you can be working, producing? Forgiveness, she says, is a waste of emotional energy because it puts you in danger of being hurt when you could just cut your losses and move on. I add to her thoughts that prayer, well, prayer is just a waste of breath. Never feels like God hears us anyway. Scripture reading, well, that's a waste of brain power. That was a different time, a different place. What relevance does it have for us today? And church, attending church, waking up early on a weekend, coming to gather with people you may not even know, to sing songs that you may not even know, to hear stories, to bow your heads, to be asked to give money, to be asked to volunteer. Oh, that's a, just a waste all the way around. Or is it? Why this waste? The disciples ask. This woman, she comes to Jesus and she gives 
an offering. She gives an extravagant gift that others can't even begin to understand, but Jesus, Jesus does. Jesus sees that this gift that she brings, it is a reflection of the gift that God has given to her. A gift of abundance. A gift that overflows. She sees how God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness has overcome and overwhelmed her life. And this is how she now responds. By giving to Jesus this abundant, extravagant, overwhelming gift. No, not a waste at all. Now, it's interesting, when the disciples protest, Jesus responds in a way that might catch us off guard. It is in verse 11. Jesus says, why do you make trouble for the woman? Good question. She's done a good thing for me. And then he says, you always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Now, this could strike us as odd. Aren't we working, Jesus, to not have the poor among us? Isn't that the idea? Isn't that the goal that we might live and serve you in a way that brings all out of poverty? But what I think Jesus is getting at here is not an, an acceptance of the status quo, but pointing to a difference, a difference in a way of living between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Yes, if your focus is on money and how much things are worth and what you can do and how you can build the economy, then yes, you will always have the poor with you. You will always live in a world of scarcity. But I've come to show you a different way. And I think a little bit Jesus is shaking his finger at them, saying, don't you dare say that this woman is getting in the way of you helping the poor. You have plenty of opportunities. You always have and you always will. Why don't you leave her out of it? She is not your excused absence for helping and serving the poor. No, what she is doing, what she is doing is bringing this extravagant gift. And then he says, she is preparing for what is to come. Preparing me for burial. You see, this was a, the practice of the people. In the ancient tradition, the body was anointed with oil and wrapped with aromatic herbs like olive and laurel and palm and cypress. It's part of the rituals of burying the dead. 
And so I wonder, too, did the disciples think this is a waste? Because why are you preparing an alive person for burial? Why would you anoint someone who is still living, breathing, walking around? Are the disciples resisting this act because they don't believe Jesus will actually die? Are they still in denial of what is to come for their teacher, for their Lord, for their friend? And does this woman now come Say to them, not only do I believe, but I will prepare him for what is to come. It is not a waste. It is a gift. A gift that points to God's abundance and God's promise. That yes, we will prepare for the death of Christ. That is what this journey of Lent is. But we will prepare with hope and with joy. For we know what comes after. Death is not the end. But it's just the beginning of new life of a new experience of God's abundant gift of love and of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness. So as we seek to live out, as we seek to determine what it is to be, what is to be our gift, our abundant gift to Jesus. We might see the oil. We might see the, the perfume. And be reminded that what the world might see as wasteful, we are to give and to experience as abundance and that we might find ways to do as the woman did to give our best to Jesus to give our best to him out of gratitude and out of joy how might we hold nothing in reserve for the sake of our Savior Will you pray with me? Oh God, as we hear this story, as we imagine the events of that dinner, we ask for your forgiveness for the times that we have seen as wasteful what you see as a gift. God, we pray. We pray that we might be opened up to new ways 
that we can give to you. Give our gifts, give our offerings, pour out our riches before you as a sign to the world of your abundant love, of your abundant grace, that we might give to you just as you have given to us. All this we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.